This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Today we're going to be talking about ADUs, accessory dwelling units. They, who wants them? What is the benefit of them? So Josh, you and I talking to a lot of different buyers out there. People want to buy ADUs. They want this granny flat. They want this additional property on the same lot so that they can either rent it out, have family members live there, essentially improve the cost of living, affordability. Uh, and on the flip side, you're getting the questions around financing. How do you do it? How much money do I need down? So in today's episode, we're going to go through those questions to help you understand ADUs in a little bit more detail. Now, before we dive into that, I want to get two housekeeping items out of the way. If you find any value in our content at all, do us a favor, hit that thumbs up, subscribe to the channel if you like information like this. And on the same token, if you're looking for a real estate professional, looking for a mortgage professional anywhere in the United States, we have a list of people that we know and trust that can guide you through the process. If you're here on the West Coast, that's probably going to be Josh. If you're here in Orange County, that's going to be me buying real estate. If we can't serve you directly, we can definitely put you in touch with somebody who can help. So do us a favor and check that for a link below. Josh, ADUs, let's start with what they are. So what defines an, an ADU? There's a couple of attributes that are important here. It has to have both a kitchen and a bathroom. So let's define what do we mean by that? toilet facilities and a shower. So you, you have to have both of those for the kitchen. You have to have a sink cabinet and cooking, uh, a stove. You can't just have a microwave or a hot plate. It has to have a separate entrance and privacy from the main unit. So you can't have a basement that has no separate entrance where you have to go in through the main home. But those are, are the big things. It also needs to be smaller than the primary dwelling and contribute less value to the property. So in big terms, most everyone has an idea of what an accessory dwelling unit is. It's a separate living area on the property. It doesn't have to be attached, can be detached or attached. Mm -hmm. But those are the sort of important definitions of what constitutes an ADU from a lender's perspective, where it would fall under the ADU guidelines versus just a, hey, an extra room with a kitchenette that I could rent out in my house. Yeah. And, and, and what we're seeing now with ADUs is sometimes they can be a, a garage conversion. They can be an additional unit built in the backyard. But Josh, when I often think of ADUs that are attached, I think of like properties, say out in Palm Springs that have a, a, a casita that is attached to the property, separate entrance, separate living area, kitchen, that sort of thing. 
attached to a main property. And now because of housing affordability, and I think that's really what we're going to talk about here to, to some degree to, to start with, they're becoming more popular, right? The cost of living is expensive, as many of you guys know. And depending on where you're looking at, housing supply is low. So there's been recent changes and guidelines out there from state perspective. And we'll talk about counties and cities and that sort of thing here as, as we talk about that. But the idea here is to make housing more affordable, to create more inventory in places where you wouldn't otherwise be able to build. And that's essentially what we're seeing here is zoning regulations are changing, giving homeowners an opportunity to start to build these. And so when we think about that, Josh, one of the questions we asked to begin with is who wants them? So who wants an ADU at this point? Again, it all relates back to affordability. In a perfect world, I think the majority of us, not all of us, different strokes for different folks, but most of us would like a single family residence on a large piece of land with our own privacy. But then you talk about constraints of, okay, the closer you get into cities, jobs, desirable things, then less land is available. Prices are higher, affordability goes down. So it really comes back to an affordability play. People want these because they say, here's my minimum requirements for living. How can I get this where I could have a comfortable place that is close to work, close to the things that I need in my life? And, and how do I accomplish that? So this is a relatively new thing, Jeb. They've always existed, but the zoning that you talked about, the importance of the zoning laws, that is changing. So we have had a history of not in my backyard. They call it NIMBYism. Well, now we got another side, the opposite side of the coin here, YIMBYs, the yes in my backyard. And they're saying, give me anything, give me everything. I don't care. I want an affordable place to live. And the government in most states, or at least in most blue states, West Coast, where we are, Washington, Oregon, California, have sided on that side. And, and the belief is that restrictive zoning policies have made for a scarcity of homes and artificially driven the home price up. Well, there's some truth to that because if we go back, we live in Huntington Beach, Jeb. If you go back to the 60s, there was tons of open land here. So you could build more homes. There wasn't a scarcity. So the supply and the ability to build more homes kept prices in check. Now we're completely built out. So you can look at it and say, well, those zoning policies no longer work. We need to replace them or improve them. But the reality is they were put in place for a number of reasons. We have a finite amount of schools, firehouses, police stations. We have roads that are built for a certain number of cars, parking in neighborhoods. So if you go to the opposite side, the yes in my backyard, and you say, throw out all zoning guidelines, everyone can put in an ADU in their backyard. You massively change the qualities of what neighborhoods are. We were talking before the show, Jeb, and you brought up a, a good point. Who wants this? Who wants this in their neighborhood? What happens if your neighborhood, you live in a planned community and in these, you're technically allowed to convert garages. What would you do if your neighbor wanted to convert a garage in your neighborhood? I, I wouldn't be happy. I see the desirability for these from a buyer's perspective in the sense that, hey, my mother-in-law is getting older. She's going to live with us. Hey, it would be great if she had her own living space, right? A, a unit in the backyard where she wasn't in the same house. I'm not talking about my personal mother-in-law, but I, just in general, these are the conversations I'm having. Well, grandma and grandpa are getting older. They need to downsize. Having this in my backyard would be nice for them to be able to live in it. 
And then from an investor standpoint, I also get it. Hey, listen, I live in San Jose. I buy a house here in Huntington Beach and it has a lot big enough for the structure that's already there, the single family. And it also has a lot big enough for me to build an ADU in the backyard. Well, it doesn't really impact me because I live in San Jose. Therefore, I don't really care what the neighbors think about that property. I understand that piece as well. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand it. So I see the reason that people want them, the additional income it can create. But like you said, if my neighbor did it, my neighbor converted their garage and now you're taking up additional parking. There's no longer people being able to park in the garage to start with, taking up street parking. Now I've got, instead of having a neighbor on either side of me, I've got two neighbors on one side of me. It just creates this, I guess, a space that I wouldn't really desire, quite frankly. I, I and very close to my neighbors. So that's something I'm already somewhat comfortable with. But once you start adding multiple families and from a noise perspective, from a, a parking perspective, one thing I tell families all the time is when we're out looking at property, Josh, I say, always pay attention to the street parking. If you go into a community and there's absolutely no street parking, which there are plenty of these communities in, in, in and out of Orange County and Long Beach or whatever, that typically means there's multi-generational living. That typically means you have multiple people living under one roof, right? Because there's more cars and everything else. And from a buyer perspective, to me, that's less desirable. And from a selling perspective, that typically means less value for that property because there's just less buyers that are willing to pay prices to live in those scenarios. So it creates all types of different quote unquote issues so you just have to understand, like, if you're comfortable with it, put yourself in those shoes of being the person that's beside that. Well, not to Jeb, say it's going to change everything, but it's something you got to keep in mind. Let's use three examples. If you've ever been in an older established city, like most parts of Los Angeles, these were built with smaller lots, thousand square foot houses. Many don't have garages or they have a one car garage. They were planned for street parking. And as the population has grown, Many of these houses have been added onto. You can't add a lot. Maybe they're 14, 1500 square feet. Now you drive through these, there's nowhere to park. They are very dense because they were built for a smaller time that no longer exists. And that's just the, the nature of the beast. For us, let's take my neighborhood. It was built in 71, 72. And you, your 6,000 square foot lots, the homes pretty much take up the lot. You can add onto them, but primarily adding up, there's not room to add out or back. So it's not really a, a property where you could add an ADU to the backyard. I have a three-car garage. We could make my garage into an awesome ADU. So that's really what the room is. But now we take three parking spaces out of the equation. We add another family into the neighborhood. If everyone did this, it would be very similar to Los Angeles with 5,000 square foot lots and tiny houses with no driveways and, and no garages. The, the best example where this really does work, I have an investor friend. He laid out a project for me. They bought in uh, Portland. It's a 12,000 square foot lot, a single family house on a 12,000 square foot lot. They put a really nice ADU on there and it didn't impact the, the livability for anyone in that neighborhood whatsoever. Plenty of parking, plenty of space, plenty of room. So what, what I feel like, you can't have the people to just say, no, never, things always have to be the way they were. Agreed. But you also can't have the people to say everything and anything should be possible because the zoning laws were put in place for a reason. We all in a perfect world have what we, we want. And even in that example, Jeff, for us here in Huntington, 
anything built in the last 10 years, there's no more 6,000 square foot lots. They're paired wall homes where you share a wall, or if you get an individual lot, it's a 3,500, 4,000 square foot lot. So we realize that things are changing over time, but even those, the parking is planned for, there has to be enough parking for everyone. So parking is an issue, it, just density. Uh, there's a million and one issues, but getting back to the topic of just ADUs, what does it mean for you buying? Those are the things that you need to be considering for quality of life going forward when you're looking at one and looking at neighborhoods where they may be appropriate. No, and I was going to say density issues are, are the primary impact, right? Huntington Beach is dealing with density issues on many different levels, but even from California as a whole, recently passed laws that allow ADUs. Anybody in the state of California can essentially build an ADU according to the laws that were passed. Now, with that, there's lot splitting and there's some other things that they go along with it, which we're not really going to get into detail in this particular episode, but there's other things to essentially allow more homes to be built, which kind of goes along with what we just talked about. But in addition to that, recently, Josh, we now have the, the, the state here in California going a little bit further and even saying, hey, listen, you can do condo conversions. Like you can build another structure on your property and convert it to a condo and then sell that particular property to someone else. So now you've essentially got a duplex on one lot but no longer a duplex. It's somebody else living there. So again, that's another episode too, but those not only the state allows it, but the cities have to adopt it. So here in Huntington Beach, that has not been adopted, probably not going to be adopted. But from an ADU standpoint, that's really what we're talking about in today's episode, Josh. So let's talk about the financing side because people, in my opinion, really have two, diff two different types of questions. How do I find them? From a realtor perspective, how do I find one of these properties that has an ADU or has a lot where I can build an ADU? And from a buyer perspective, how can I finance it? So if I'm just buying it and it already has an ADU, what does that financing look like? And or if I own the piece of property and I want to build an ADU, what does that look like? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So here's what I want to say in the context of our 30-minute conversation here. We cannot cover all of the details of all of the financing guidelines and options. They're changing. They're changing rapidly. The big one that we're going to talk about, especially in the context of first-time buyers, which many of you that listen to the podcast are, in that context is FHA. FHA had some big guideline changes. FHA will now allow income from an ADU to be used for qualifying. And in the context of affordability in our conversation, that's probably the most important thing. Freddie Mac will also allow it. Fannie Mae will only allow it on home ready. So what I will say is it is important that you get with a loan officer that is knowledgeable and experienced. And I don't say that knows all of the ADU guidelines because these rapidly change. You need to get with someone who is what we in the industry call a guideline geek that will jump into the details, that will call multiple investors, multiple lenders, and find a way to make your scenario work. So big picture, Jeb, when you ask about financing, the programs are not necessarily any different. When we're talking about a single family with an ADU, the question just becomes, can we use the rental income to qualify? 
So FHA will now allow it, but it can't be more than 30% of qualifying income. So there's a restriction on that. They have some restrictions on the property. So uh, again, without just sitting here and reading you a matrix and boring guidelines, just know that it is not as simple as buying a single family residence, whether you're FHA, Fannie, Freddie, we didn't talk about VA. VA will not allow you to use ADU income, but we've talked a million times on the show. VA is the most favorable in terms of letting you go to a very high debt to income ratio. So you will probably, if you're well-qualified and have good residual income, still be able to qualify in that context. So any of them will not disqualify a property under the ADU guidelines. But the most important thing, Jeb, if you send me over a client and say, hey, I talked to Susie and Bill, and they would like to buy a single family in Westminster, and they're looking for something that has an ADU. Cool. Now you've told me the context of what we're looking at. I'm going to go through all of the normal stuff. What's your income? How much money do you have to work with? What does the credit look like? But we're going to know that we maybe we need to go FHA. Maybe we need to go Freddie Mac, and we can't use Fannie Mae because we need that income there to qualify. And as we then narrow down to not just saying, hey, I want a loan and I want to buy a property with an ADU. When you guys get out and specifically find the properties, then we want to make sure that there's no issues with those individual properties that would keep us from meeting the guidelines for the selected program. So a big overview, but the reason for that is these guidelines go into very specific details and they vary a lot depending on loan program. So Josh, we've talked about the idea of buying a property, right? Because we're talking to educated home buyers here, people typically that don't own a home. But we both know that we still have a lot of listeners, uh, a lot of real estate agents, a lot of lenders that, that listen to this podcast. And so what about those people that own property, right? They, they have the, the lot that's big enough to build the ADU. How, is there an easy way to get financing on that sort of thing? If I want to build an ADU, do I have to have cash or is the lender going to allow me to finance it? How does that piece work? So think about it. The ADU is going to add some value to your property but we can't rely on that future value to qualify or until very recently, we couldn't rely on that future value to qualify. As part of the changes to those FHA guidelines, you can now do an FHA 203K renovation loan and the conversion or addition of an accessory dwelling unit can be included in that. Now, the issue is many of my clients who reach out and ask about this and wanna do that, they bought their home five years ago. Home's gone up 50, 60% in value. They're like, I got a bunch of equity. I want to use my equity to build an ADU. Well, they also have a 3% interest rate. So they don't necessarily want to give that up for a two or three K at six and a half to seven and a half percent and finance the whole thing. So primarily what we've been seeing a lot of or more of versus a, a new loan or a cash out refinance or a construction loan is doing a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit. So you have to get really clear on two things. What is this accessory dwelling unit going to cost to build? When I talk to people, the numbers that they throw out, Jeb, of how cheaply they can build it don't jive with what we're seeing of current construction costs. So they need to count on it being more expensive than what they think. And then I also, on the flip side here, well, I'm going to convert my garage and I can get $2,000 a month for that. And I say, really? I have a two bedroom, one bath units in Long Beach that I ran out and they're $1,800 a month. And that's like a full kitchen, bath, living room. It's not just a converted garage. So we need to be careful about what the realistic expectation is for a converted garage, no matter how nicely it's converted. There's still a price per square foot that a rental property is going to generate. 
So when we're looking at that, okay, if I borrow $125,000 to do a high-end garage conversion, that's going to cost me X number of dollars. And here's realistically what it can generate. But because most folks that own and are looking to build have a lot of equity and a low interest rate, it's more commonly a second mortgage in the current market. Yeah. And something that for anybody out there considering this is that it's important to understand not only the financing side, which Josh is talking about here, but the cost to build some of these units. I, I think we often both have conversations with people that are thinking about doing this sort of thing. And they're like, well, I can add this unit in my backyard and it's going to be this size and it's going to cost me a hundred thousand dollars. And we're, and Josh and I coming from the background and doing this and having a lot of conversations, realizing that cost is probably underestimated by a considerable amount. So I wouldn't say that there's a really easy way to go about doing this, but you have to be realistic in the cost, right? What's it going to cost you to do it? How much rent is it going to bring in if you're trying to rent it out? If it's something where you're doing a granny flat or a mother-in-law unit or whatever, does it actually make sense at the end of the day to build that unit and, and bring in that income? I think everybody looks at it as, hey, I got this extra piece of property on 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 my my lot and I can rent it out or I can have so-and-so live there. But when you start to pencil it out, it's going to take some time for those numbers to actually work out. And I think from a real estate perspective, I'll be honest, it's difficult to really find out what the value of one of these things creates to some extent. And the primary reason for that, Josh, is there's just not a lot of comparable properties out there that have sold in these neighborhoods where you've got a similar size single family structure on the lot and then a similar size ADU in the backyard to compare it to, right? What we're often dealing with is tracked homes where it's really easy to get an idea of value. Well, these things, it's more difficult. You can't just say, hey, look, this is what it costs to build it. And now I'm going to add that to the value of my home. So understand in some areas, you see a lot more of these. It's a little bit easier to, to figure out value. But in, in markets like Huntington Beach, it's a little bit more difficult. And also from a real estate perspective, Josh, I think leads us into the idea of having that conversation with buyers who want these units. What I would start with more so than anything else is find out where you want to live. I think where you want to live is, is the most important question in, in a lot of these scenarios. And then figure out what the zoning regulations are for that city. What do they allow with regards to a structure size? What do they allow as far as setbacks? And then you can have an idea of what it's going to cost. And then you can figure out, okay, this is realistic in the market that I want to be in. Okay, what does that look like from a real estate perspective? Can I do this on a 6,000 square foot lot? Because Huntington Beach, if we're just talking again, locality here, Huntington Beach primarily is built on 6,000 square foot lots, right? There are lots that are bigger than that. There are some lots that are smaller, but for the majority are those lots. So is it going to have to be bigger than that? Okay. If it is, how big? And then one thing that you need to consider too, is that once you start looking at bigger lots, what I will say is that, believe it or not, you actually have more competition, even in the current environment for these types of properties, because there are other families, other buyers out there trying to do the exact same thing that you're trying to do, right? When they see a bigger lot, 8,000, 9,000 square feet, they might be thinking, I'm just buying it because I like the lot. I've got a big family. It gives my kids room to run around. But you also have a portion of the people looking at that going, hey, that gives me the ability to add that unit that I wanted to add to get mom in the backyard or to do as a rental. So just to understand from a competition standpoint, you're probably going to have a little bit more competition when you start looking at bigger lots when it comes to building an ADU. 
even not just from owner occupants, but from investors. Investors Absolutely. are looking around, looking for properties that they can maximize. We go back to that scenario I told you in Portland, Oregon, that guy was able to basically pay retail value for that single family because he knew with the ADU, it was going to build in the profit margin that an investor, a flipper needed, despite the fact that he was paying basically full retail for the, the primary residence that he was buying there. Another point, Jeb, that you and I didn't talk about, going back to whether you're starting with City Hall just to find out what is allowed in the city where you want to live in or what you can do to build, some areas we beat up a little bit on, on state governments, local governments coming up with half thought through plans. But one of the really good things that they've done, Washington and Oregon both have pre-approved ADU plans that are approved by the state, a number of floor, floor plans, different sizes. The plans are already architecturally approved and they qualify for expedited permitting. So you can go to city hall and get your permits much faster. And the permitting is discounted. You're not paying nearly as much. Then on top of that, you have contractors that are out there and specializing in these. Like if an assembly line, they know the material cost. They know how quickly they can do it. They can get some economies of scale of buying materials because they know they're going to build X of these identical units over time. So there can be some good and positive things that are coming out of this push from the government, but you, you really, you got to do your research and know what's possible in your given area before you either go to build or buy an AD. No, and, and on top of that, Josh, there, take again, where we live here in Orange County, Long Beach area, there are people that build these manufactured units already, right? They're pre-manufactured units that they can literally crane into your backyard that's an assembled ADU. And sometimes they're less expensive. Sometimes maybe they're not everything that design-wise that you want, but they're already done and can be delivered in a timely fashion versus going through the permitting process, dealing with contractors and doing a lot of this other stuff. So there are opportunities out there to take advantage of this. But we're really coming at it from a perspective of what you need to consider when you're going through this process. Because Josh, in 20 years of selling real estate, I would say ADUs are probably popular within the last five years. And, and again, from a, an affordability standpoint, but even during that period of time, I, I can only think of two properties that I've sold where somebody was plant, like doing an ADU on that property. And one of them was in Midway City where it's essentially unincorporated, so you can pretty much do whatever you want as far as building codes come, I believe. But they're larger lots. They give you the ability. There's a lot of multi-generational living there to start with, and so it goes already in with the neighborhood. And then one other that, that bought in another neighborhood, and that was like an 11,000-square-foot lot. So neither of those were like a hindrance to the, the big picture uh, of most neighborhoods. But I think, as we discussed prior to this, look out 10, 20, 30 years from now, which again is, is, is hard to, to, to consider, but th this is going to be a normal thing in a lot of neighborhoods across the U.S. I, from my end, I don't know that I've ever done a purchase with an ADU already on the property. I've had many clients convert garages to an ADU. I think only a handful that have added ADUs. I had a client, actually a listener to the podcast, to the live show. We did 10 refinances for him and three of them were on duplexes that he had bought around 2010. And with the ADU guidelines, he was able to add ADUs to all of those and significantly increase the value. So it's happening. It's out there. It's a small minority of the market. But as you said, over time, it's going to become more prevalent, more common, and something that people look at. And again, I don't feel like anyone 
as an owner occupant says, what I would love is an ADU, unless they have a need for a family member, multi-generational living, but affordability is important. And people are saying, I would rather own a home with an ADU that makes it affordable for me than continue to rent. So it is an important topic. And what I would say, we always say this on the show here is get with experts, get with someone that knows the guidelines, that knows the research. They don't necessarily have to have the knowledge that you need in their head, but they're able and committed to doing the research for you and getting you the accurate and timely answers that you need to, to make the decisions on either buying or building an ADU. Yeah. And along the same lines, some areas are going to be more prone to this. Josh said Washington and Oregon already have pre-approved plans. They already have these guidelines, this assembly line to go through this. Whereas other areas like here and where we're located, it's less common and primarily from a density standpoint. So some areas are going to thrive with this sort of thing. Some areas are going to be a little bit more difficult. So just understand going into it that you understand your market, right? We often talk about real estate being local. This is one of those things that depending on where you are is going to dictate how easy it is to build them, how easy it is to find them from a financial standpoint or a financing standpoint, rather, it should be more or less pretty similar across the board. So with that said, this episode came about because people have been asking about ADU. So I'm asking you as a listener of the show, as a viewer of the show, what is it that you want us to cover? Uh, we want to provide value. We want to help you become the educated home buyer. So if you'll let us know, we can do that and, and provide more value to you guys. But until next time, we appreciate you being here. Adios. Amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.